Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Welcome you to Journey. We had over 40 people getting baptized at church today, so we got a lot to celebrate. We're going to have a good time. And so uh, if you haven't been here before, uh, we're going to go through, we're going to open up a message in, in God's Word. And we've been going specifically uh, through a through study on the Spirit of God, the power of God. Uh, we've been calling it the Wild Goose. And uh, I've been reading through a book. I've, I've encouraged you to get it uh, called The Wild Goose Chase by Mark Batterson. And uh, it, has been, it has been messing my life up, which, which is what I asked. That he, that he would do. And you, you got to be careful what you ask for. You ever been there where you're like, I shouldn't have asked, right? Like, I, I should have just kept that to myself. And he's just, there's things that I'm, that I'm going through right now as a pastor. I'm like, man, I need, I need God to, to mess some stuff up there. I, I, need to, I need to be shaken there. And so last week we talked about how a lot of us live our lives in, in cages, right? We don't even know it. They're actually a prison to God's God's purpose for our life. We talked about the cage of responsibility. Next week, I'm excited uh, to speak to you because I think a lot of people struggle with this, this cage, the cage of assumption. Assumption. There's a lot of you that assume things about yourself uh, and you, you attach God's name to it, but it's not God's idea about you, but it's actually somebody else's idea transferred to you, impacting who you are right now, getting in the way of who God wants you to be. So we're going to talk about assumptions next week. Today I want to talk to you on the topic of routines. Anybody in this place a routine person? I would call you a well-organized type A, you know, upstanding citizen of American, right? Right? Organize anybody, come on, organize, right? Some of you won't even raise your hand because that's not on your schedule today. <laughs> I, I didn't write that in my calendar, right? And so, organize. I am not a spontaneous person at all. I'm not, not at all. It, spontaneity messed me up. Anybody else? Right? I, I realized this really in college when I, was, when I was a young man. I was dating Leah. It was our last year of college. She was my, my, my she's going to be my fiance, going to be, we're going to get married. And uh, I was in my fourth year of Bible college and every spring they had something called class night, which you know, they had homecoming and then class night, and you would go out with, with, with your girlfriend or your date with a group of friends and eat at a fancy restaurant and dress in a suit and end up somewhere in, in Dallas hanging out and taking pictures, and some of them ended in carriage rides if you really liked the girl, and if not, you didn't waste money on a carriage, you know what I'm talking about, like, and so, like, it was like that kind of night, so it was my last one, I was a senior, and I had a lot of friends that were graduating with me. They all had uh, girlfriends that were going to be their wives. And so we all decided we'll go out together. All of our wives were friends. What was interesting is a lot of our future wives worked at the same restaurant called The Dove's Nest in Waxahachie, Texas. And so, so we were all pretty close. And we decided to go out into, into, into uh, Dallas. I forget what restaurant we went to, but we went to this nice restaurant and uh, went through the mo- motions. We ordered food, ate it, got, got dessert. And at one point, all of our girlfriends, fiancés got up and they left together, which wasn't weird because that's what girls always do, right? They go to the bathroom together. Nobody knows what they're doing, but they leave. And so, uh, so they all left and uh, never came back, right? I married her, so eventually I found her. So some of you are like, you never <laughs> leave these of that. But they didn't come back that night. We got a text on our little Nokia, you know, snake phones, you know what I'm talking about? It took 13 minutes to come through, right? Message coming. 
And it, it just, it was a hint of where they could be found. A hint. And we were like, what is this? They didn't tell us about this. And so we got in our car. They had left. And we went to the next location. And we got to this location. And then there was another hint. And we went to the next location. And they're, they're, they're taking us on a scavenger hunt. By the time we're done, we're back in Waxahachie. I had spent the entire night with a bunch of dudes, right? Uh, we walk into the dove's nest, and they're in the dove's nest where they work with all these candles, and they're waiting there, and it's this picture-perfect thing, and I'm pissed. <laughs> I'm like, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done, right? Like, yeah, we're dancing. This is great. We get free dessert. I don't know if you guys broke in here or not, right? But, like, this is the dumbest thing, and here's why, because that wasn't on my agenda. It wasn't scheduled out. I don't like spontaneity at else. And here's the problem. This is what he says in this chapter of the Cajun routine. He says, spontaneity is an underappreciation dimension of spirituality. The ability to be spontaneous. And the problem is, I have zero of that. On Fridays, I like to eat breakfast at the same time, at the same place. I order the same thing. I read my Bible in the same chair every morning. If you're in my chair, get out. I know the Bible says to serve, but I'm going to serve some other way. I do my sermon. I rehearse it the same time on Sunday in the same room with the same lamps on, the fireplace at the same thing. I, I, I like the same. I, I, on Saturday night, I take a bath in the same temperature every Saturday night. Look over my sermon. I know it's not manly, but that is my routine. I get ready the same way every day. I brush my teeth in the shower. I do all those things. I, I park in the same spot. I, I follow everything by list. I clean, and I keep stuff clean, and I keep stuff organized, and I have a place for anything else. I like routine, right? Anybody else tracking with me? I love when stuff is the way that it's supposed to. I got Bible verses for that kind of life, by the way. If I had tattoos, I would get some of these Bible verses on me, right? But I don't. And so the Bible says in Hebrews 12, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. I love that, right? Discipline, routine, right? Working in order. They don't, sometimes they're a pain in the butt, but later on, they produce a harvest of righteousness. One of my favorite ones in Proverbs 12 said, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Anybody else? Like, like I'm going to tell my kids that. You love discipline, you love knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid, right? You love discipline, you're right. You don't like it, you're stupid. Until you get corrected in the chapter of a book that's been beating you up, and you're like, well, no, 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 I don't know if that's stupid, Mark. I don't know if this is well organized in, in, in your thoughts, and what I started thinking about is the reason that I love routine so much is I love comfort, I love predictability, and I love to be around the familiar. And here's the problem with beginning to follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will take you out of your comfort zone. You'll have to embrace discomfort. He'll lead you into the unpredictable and often take you into moments where it's unknown. So the problem with so many of us is we allow our routine to get in the way. In fact, I started thinking of a name of why I love the, the, the cage, the cage of, of routine. And I just, it's because I'm Dutch. You know what I'm saying? I'm Dutch. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, right? Like, this is what they say. So they told me. Only Dutch people say that. Everybody else that's not Dutch is thankful, right? And so I have my way of doing things. I have my restaurants that I like to eat at. I have my, 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 my grocery stores. I buy things at. Some of you so Dutch, you go to multiple grocery stores because you know the prices, the sales, the times they stock. I have my list. I drink my coffee out of this cup. Who chipped my cup? I can't drink coffee today. 
I drive at this speed. I take these roads. I have this much time in my thing. I have a routine. And here's the problem with routine. I started thinking about it. Is oftentimes routines aren't bad, but left to themselves, they become spiritual cages that ultimately become the enemy of God's creativity in your life. One person said, they said that it's actually not, not a cage or a comfort thing we do. It's actually what it becomes in your life is a coffin. It actually is something that oftentimes the, 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 the purposes of God in your life get buried in your agenda and your routine. In fact, we've all heard the term in a rut, right? In a rut. Your routine can get you in a rut. You know this physically. If you work out the same way all the time, do you see improvement? You're like, I'm in such better shape. I don't even get sore anymore. It's because you've been doing 16 push-ups for the last five years. You've never added anything. You walk at the same pace at the treadmill, right? Three, point three, right? You're like, this is, this is hard, right? And you're like, I don't know why I'm not seeing any improvement because you've never shocked your muscles. Your muscles are in a rut. You see this in businesses all the time. I see this in churches. One of my routines on Sunday afternoon is to go home and watch churches. I just do. I don't know what else to do, right? And so I just watch churches online on Facebook. And sometimes I watch a church and it makes me feel like a kid again because they're still doing church the same way that churches did it when I was a kid. And I'm like, this is, this, is, this is good for me. It's making me feel like a young man. It's taking my mind away from being 43 and having responsibility. I remember that. I remember church potlucks and all those things. But those churches oftentimes will be shocked because they, they don't get change in their church because their routines that they do have led them into a rut. That'll happen in our church, that'll happen in marriages, that'll happen in businesses, that, 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 that'll happen in relationships, that happens physically to us. Your, your routines can get you in, in, in a rut. And ultimately, your routines become what I would call spiritually restrictive to God's future. They're spiritually restrictive to the future of God. So I want to take you into a story. I want to show you somebody who's in a rut interrupt. In the book of Exodus, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a story about a man named Moses. If you don't know anything about the Bible, I just want to give you a little brief summary of how we got to the story of Moses. And so Moses is a Jewish man born at the time when the, the Jewish people are enslaved. They've been enslaved for 400 years. There's so many uh, Jewish people living in Egypt that the Pharaoh of Egypt actually starts to fear that they're going to rebel. And so he comes up with a plan. He says, we're going to kill every baby boy under the age of two. Well, that is, that's the time that Moses was born. So Moses' mom is freaking out. The only thing she could think to do was make a basket out of wicker, place this baby in the Nile River. By the way, the Nile River has crocodiles in it. How desperate are you to put your baby in that river and float him down a river hoping that his life would be spared, but not knowing how it would turn out. By the grace of God, he ends up floating through the current uh, by the princess of Egypt. She takes this baby boy in to her care, and she raises Moses as her son for the first 40 years of his life. I mean, you talk about a turn of events. He goes from being a slaved baby that would die to being raised in a palace. He's, he's, he's drinking out of gold goblets, and he, 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 he's living a lush life. But something is still Jewish in him, right? It's still his ancestry. He's still connected there. And one day at 40, he's walking by. I, I believe seeing something maybe he's never, that he's seen before, but he's never paid attention to. He's seeing a, a ro or an Egyptian soldier, and he's abusing a, a Jewish slave. And something clicks in Moses, and he loses his temper, and he kills the soldier. So he runs. So it's really interesting. He spends 40 years in the palace, and then he runs, and he spends the next 40 years of his life in the wilderness. Stuff changed. I mean, you ever, you ever make a mistake so bad, it, it literally changes the course of history in your life? 
The Bible says that he goes out into the wilderness. He meets a man named Jethro. And when he meets Jethro, he begins to work for Jethro. What do you think Jethro does? What, what, what could Jethro do, right? His, what does his name sound like? What is it? A farmer. Duh, duh right? And so you ever meet a Jethro that's a lawyer, right? And so Jethro's a farmer. So Moses is like, I can work for you. I can learn how to farm. Well, what have, what, what have you, what's your experience? Well, I was a prince, right? Let me see your hands. He shows, you know, calluses on your hands. I can learn. And so he takes him in. He begins to work for Jethro. Jethro likes this guy. He lets him marry one of his daughters. Uh, her name is Zipporah. And him and Zipporah have a few kids. And he's working as a farmer. He's 80 years old now. And, and he's just living out the last moments of his life. If there was ever a guy in a rut, it was Moses. He's just trying to live his life. This is what we do with routines, by the way. We'll be like, uh, we'll be like, I, I, I just want to live a simple life. I just want, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to live a life where it's just, you know, just calm. I just want to mind my, I just want to mind my own business. I, 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 I just, I don't want to make any waves, right? Moses murdered somebody. Nobody knows about that part of his life. He's just, he's just trying. So he just wants to take care of some cows, some sheep. So let me eat, let me eat my, my, let me grow some plants. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me just raise a couple boys. Let me, let me teach them how to hunt. I just want to live a simple life. I don't, I don't want neighbors. Like, who wants neighbors? I don't want to talk to people, right? You ever been there if you're a routine person? I, I just want to be in control of my situation. This is Moses. I just want to spend the rest of my life just being a farmer. But the problem is God oftentimes has different plans than us. So there's this amazing moment in the life of Moses. He's 80 years old and he's in the normal but the Holy Spirit begins to move in his life. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible says that Moses is tending the flock of, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. He, he's, he's at a spot where God often is, they say. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames from a fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. If you're in a routine, you, this is one of those moments you should not participate. You see something burning, right, but it's not burning up, and you don't want something to get messed up in your life. It's not on your agenda. You need to go back to the, 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 the camp, Moses. In fact, I think Moses initially thinks to himself, I should have went back to the camp. Because everything in his life, his routine, his daily activities, everything's about to change in this moment. The Bible says he sees a strange sight. This bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over, uh, God called him to, to within, from within the bush. Moses, Moses, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then God said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. I love what it says over and over in Scripture. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzasites, the Hivitites, and the Jebusites. I don't know if I said any of that right, but we're going to go with that, right? Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I've heard them. You ever been there with God? You're like, God, do something about that. He's like, I'm about to. You're, you're going to be involved. I've heard them cry out. I'm going to send you back, right? 
If there was ever a moment a dude was stuck in his routine, it's Moses. Let me just show you three things that often happen. When God swoops into your life and he says, I'm not about your comfort. I'm not about you being in control. I'm not about always leading you into what's easy and what's familiar. And you're addicted to the cage of routine. Here's three things you'll often do. And maybe, maybe you, you'll relate to these because here's three things I often do. Number one, somebody who is spiritually restricted by their routines. First thing you'll do, you'll always find excuses. When God comes into your life. And he causes you, and he acts, asks you, and he, he pushes you, and he le- you'll always find an excuse. Got any professional excuse makers here? You don't want to admit it. You will always find a- a- an excuse in your life. Listen to what happens to Moses. Moses, he, he comes in, and he's like, you're going to go do this. And what, is, what does Moses, Moses do? Right away, he starts giving all of these reasons why you, why you can't do it. He can't call. You can't use me. You, I'm the wrong guy. He tells him in Exodus 3, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Which, by the way, I, I want, if he would just think logically, he's the best one because he was raised in the palace with the guy who is now the, the, the pharaoh of Egypt, they used to play pig together, right? Like they, they were almost brothers. You are the best candidate to go back into that palace. You know the secret passageways to get to the throne and stand before him. But what does he say? There's got to be somebody better. There, there, there's got to be somebody better. What did they ask me? When they, when they see me, what if I go to the Israelites and I say, hey, I'm here to lead you out of, out of slavery. And they say, who told you that? What do I say? Bushy. You ever been there? What am I going to tell my parents? They got this dream from my life, this cage of routine. I got these parents are really successful, right? And they just, they get me in here and they've been training me for years. And I went to this school and I got this doctorate and I got a master's in this. And they got all these expectations. And now you've been talking about the Holy Spirit and he's been messing stuff up. And, and, and now I got to have a conversation with my parents about, about dad. I mean, don't you think Moses would have been there too? I gotta go tell Jethro, right? I'm going back to Egypt to lead the people out of slavery. I'm gonna take his daughter and, and his two grands. I mean, he's terrified of this. I got all sorts of, I can't do this. Then he goes on, I love this part. In the next chapter, he's still arguing with God. And he says, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. You ever do this with God? You wanna remind him of, of your insufficiencies? Like he doesn't know you, right? Hey God, I'm short, right? I know. Hey God, my nose is big. I know I gave it to you. Why? We don't know, right? It was on lunch break there, right? So, right? Like, what, what, what do these things happen? We want to remind God of it. Hey, God, and he looks, at, he looks at, God, at God and he says, hey, hey, pardon your servant. He gets all religious, right? And so, pardon your servant. He says, I've never been eloquent either in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow in speech. And tell him, let me remind you of one more thing. Okay, let me remind you one more thing. You tell me who you are. I'm the great I am. Okay, I get all that. But when I go back to talk to them, are you forgetting that I have a speech impediment? Are you, are you forgetting? He, he actually starts showing it off to God, right? Like you can just see him. He wants God to see his speech impediment. And God's like, who, who are you that you should tell me what you have? I gave that to you. I, I know what, what's going on in your life. I'm going to send you there so that I can get the glory. Right now, it's not about you. It's, it's, about, it's about me. But, but what I found in my life is when I want to hesitate, when I want to stay in the cage of routine, when God begins to move me into something that's unexpected, the first thing that I will do is I will always find excuses. And here's the problem with excuses. God's will is unaccessible to your excuses. It will always be easier to find excuses than it will be to follow God's call. Over and over again. Why don't, why don't you tithe? I mean, I just, 
money's tight, and, you know, this is going on. I know I should, but, you know, it's just, and we're like, we, we think, like, oh, that's a good excuse. And why don't you, you know, make that relationship decision, or why don't you go in that direction, or why don't you go, you know, just, you know, I got all these good excuses. And you are actually keeping yourself away from the future that God has for your life. In fact, a man named Howard Wright said, he said, excuses are lies wrapped up in reasons. You ever, you ever watch Charlie Brown, any old, old school people here, and the teacher would talk? How did the teacher sound? Go ahead, go ahead, do it so they can hear you. That's how you sound to God. Wah, 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 wah. God's going, I heard it all before. I had Moses tell him he couldn't, couldn't speak. Like, I, I've, I've heard all this before. But really what it is, is I don't want to get out of my routine. So I'm going to come up with all sorts of excuses. Number two is this, is when you're being spiritually limited, when it's holding you back, when your routine is getting in the way and God steps into your life and begins to shift you. Here's something else that you'll do. You'll argue that timing is everything. You'll argue. If there was ever a guy who would say, hey, uh, this is not a good time for me, it's Moses. He's 80. He's not in the peak physical condition of his life. Uh, he's farming, right? He's not, and he's raising kids. You ever been there with God? You're like, yeah, God wants me to do this, but it's not a good time in my life. Like, it's, it, it is, it's not the right time. Like, I got, I got responsibilities, and I got requirements, and I, and I got a job, and I got some debts I got to pay off, and I got some things I got to make sense of. And I'm just telling you, oftentimes in my life, when God calls me to something, I'll argue with them that, hey, it's probably not the right time. When, when I'm 12, I'm going to say, I'm too young to follow God. When I get to 18, I'm going to say I'm too smart right now. You know how 18-year-olds, I'm too smart to follow God. Get to 22, I'm too happy right now. I'm living my best life to follow God. 25, I'm too busy to think about God. I got to pay the debt off for my happiness, right? 30 years old, I'm too smug to think about God. 40 years old, come on, where are my 40 years old? I'm too tired to think about God right now. I've been saying that to God all the time. i like, I'm too tired, God. You know I did this already in my 20s and my 30s. Can you find somebody else? Can, you find, can, I just, can I just, if I'm honest, can I just coast in, right? Can we just cruise control that thing? Can you, can you get somebody else? I'm too, I'm too tired. You get to 50, you're too worried to think about God. You're thinking about your future. 60, you're too old to think ab about God. We will constantly argue that timing is everything. Ecclesiastes 11 says, whoever watches the wind never plants. Whoever looks at the clouds never reaps. Why? Perfectionism is the mother of all spiritual hesitation. Perfectionism doesn't look perfect, right? I'm in my, I'm in my cage. Some of you, 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 you mapped out your day today. You're like, man, I'm going to go to church at 9.30. Remember last week I almost fell on this thing? And so it's not going to happen again. I got a deep bass right now. And so this wasn't on my agenda. In fact, in fact, you're, you're preaching a little too long today. Because I got a place to be. Like, I, I put into my agenda, I got an hour and about 10 minutes for church today. I got lunch or brunch. You're going to preach too long for brunch. You got to get done, right? And I got brunch, and then I got a nap schedule. But it's only a 15-minute nap because, you know, some, some TikTok videos, so that's the optimal amount of time. And then I got an hour and 13 minutes scheduled out for vitamin D today. So I'm going to go out, and I'm going to sit. And then I have time to play with my kids for three minutes. And, then, and you have this entire routine scheduled out right now where, where it's like okay God, I'm going to give you a little bit of time right I'm going to give you a little bit of my agenda and the problem is is God's not worried about your time 
In fact, he says in his book, it was so good. He says, if you want God to begin to work in your life in a new way, you got to embrace two things. One, a change of place, and two, a change of pace. Change of place. He says, I tell every spiritual Christian that's trying to pursue God, everyone I know, I tell them to go on a mission trip. Go somewhere. Go to a different country. Go to a different city. Go somewhere away from what's normal so that God can meet you in something different. And then he says, you got to slow down. Most of us are missing God because our agenda is too busy. In fact, he uses this, it wrecked me, this amazing story in the, in the, in the, in the book on page number 55. In fact, I remember where it was at uh, because I looked at it before I came up here. So don't be impressed. But uh, so I'm like, man, you got a photogenic memory. No, I do not. And so... But they, they use this story, and when he talks about the change of pace, and uh, in the story, he says they did this study of seminary students. So if you don't know what that means, it means people that are going to be pastors. And uh, they wanted, they want, Princeton did this study to see, you know, kind of if their beliefs lined up and why, why or why they did, would or would not. And so they had this study, and uh, they based it around uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. You, you ever hear that story? Jesus, he uh, tells a story one time. He says there's, there's a guy gets beat up and uh, left for dead. And a Levite and a, and a priest see him and walk over him and leave him there. And a good Samaritan sees him, stops, picks him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a hotel, gets him all healed up. He says that one loved him like he's supposed to love him, right? They, they, they were religious without that. So they used this story. They found these seminary students. They asked them this question. They asked them this question. They said, why are you going to school to be a, a pastor? The overarching theme was we want to help people. Right? We want to help people. We want, to help, we want to help people meet Jesus. So they said, hey, we're going to give you an assignment. Here's the assignment. We want you to be uh, at this time, on this date, and we want you to preach a story uh, or a sermon based around the Good Samaritan. Right? Simple. Here's your time slot. Here's your date when we want to be there. Here's your topic. Prepare a 15-minute sermon. Your professors will be there. We'll grade you. Do all that stuff. And so they tell these guys all this stuff. And here, here was the kicker. The third thing they did is half of the group, when they were getting ready to go, they told them, you're late. And the other half, they told them, you're on time. And what they did is, as they were, as they were going on the, the road to get to the place they were going to preach, they stationed a dude that looked like he got beat up right in front of them. And they figured all these guys, they stopped, right? They, 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 they're preaching on the Good Samaritan. They want to help people. They'll all be late for their sermon, right, to help this guy. And here's what they found out. The ones that they told were going to be late and were going to miss their time frame. Most of them, only one out of ten stopped. Most of them stepped right over the guy as they were heading to preach the sermon on the Good Samaritan. What they found out is the number one reason that people don't allow God to work in their life in the way that he wants to work. You know what it is? Hurry. You're, you're, so, you're so busy. Even right now, you're like, why do you slow down so much when you're talking? Because all you do is yell talk. Is hurry. We think if we don't get it all in and we don't fulfill our agenda that we won't accomplish what we're supposed to accomplish in our life. And the Bible's clear. God can do more in a moment than you can do in a lifetime. It's not on my agenda. It's not the perfect timing. Let me just give you one more thought as we wrap this up. Here's number three. Uh, when you let your routine get in the way, when God comes and asks you something, here's the third thing that'll happen. Uh, you're going to get tied down in the details. You're going to want more details. You ever been there? Like, I believe the Holy Spirit's already been speaking to some people in this place, something he wants you to do, 
And every week you come into this place, you're like, okay, give me some more of the plan. And God's like, I'm not giving you any more of the plan because if I showed all the plan to you, you'd be terrified you wouldn't do it anyways. You know how I know that? Because God tells Moses to go to uh, release his people. And uh, he goes, and in the middle of the trip, he tells Moses, oh, by the way, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. His heart's going to be hardened. It's going to be a lot tougher than I told you back in Midian. If he would have told him in the burning bush, Moses, I'm calling you to something that's going to absolutely suck. That's the bush, right? So, it's going to be awful on your kids. Your wife's going to be stressed out and yelling at you all the time. Your father-in-law is going to be pissed. On the middle of the trip, your wife's going to get so mad at you. She's going to head back. You're going to go by yourself. Oh, by the way, in the middle of the trip, I'm going to need you to do something else. You haven't circumcised your youngest son yet. You're going to need to take care of that, too, on the road trip. If you would have gave him all those details, what do you think Moses would be doing? I'm not going. If God would have told me in 2005 what this journey would have looked like, right, what this process was going to be like, what the years were going to feel like, what the up, I would have been like, I'm not doing that. I'm staying in Edmond, Oklahoma. We got Starbucks on every corner. We got three Home Depots and three Lowe's. We got Walmart, neighborhood Walmart, Target, World Target. We got, we got, we got Top Golf. We, we, we got malls. We, we got every restaurant. We got barbecue. You want me to leave and go do this and go through that and have this person leave and be in that difficulty and all of those things you want to go on? If he would have gave me that whole plan, I would have said, nah, I'll stay here. So what was his first step? Hey, just, just go. What's going to happen? I'll tell you when I get there. Just go. And, and so many times we're in the cage routine because we're so scheduled out. We're like, well, I need to have more details. I need to make an educated guess. I need to, you just got to go. There's times that God calls you to go, and here's what you do. You just go, and you let him figure out the rest on the way. You, you do what you can do now. And so I've been, I've been uh, I, when I read this book, what was interesting is he says, uh, people get in such funk even in their religious activity. In fact, uh, he said, um, when you sing a song 30 times in church, your brain on the 30th time starts to shut off, and you'll just sing the words from memory and no spiritual emotion at all. So we can sing like the old, the old, the old hymn, no, Jesus paid it all, and we'll, 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 we'll sing that with no emotion at all, and somebody can buy our coffee at Wawa, and we'll try to kiss them, right? Like it's, right? Like, oh my gosh, right? And like, but you can sing Jesus paid it all and just no emotion at all because we've sung it so many times. And so there's, there's scriptural uh, uh, importance to continuing to change up what you're singing so that your brain doesn't get in a routine of what you're worshiping. So I went to a pastor's uh, event this week and, and uh, they sometimes sing songs that I don't, I've never heard before. Like I just, I, I, I don't sing a song, give a song one chance. Like that's why if it's not a banger, I don't sing it again. Like in, and usually you get about 15 seconds, right? And I'm like, this isn't good, right? And so... So there's songs that literally I've just written off because I just didn't think they were good. And this is one of the, these songs. My dad was, was preaching, and he had the band play a song called Make Room. And I've heard it before, uh, but I've never actually listened to it all the way through. And as the band started playing it, it went along with exactly what we're praying at church. Hey, God, mess us up. Mess me up. And as they began to play, I could just, the, the words just began to speak to me. And I've been listening to it on repeat in my quiet time. And the words said something like this. I, I'll make room for you. That's a prayer. I'll make room for you. Do whatever you want to. 
That's scary. Do whatever you want to, it says. And then it says this in the next part. It says, have your way. Have your way. Jesus, here's why. Because only one of you can have your way. (laughs) Right? Jesus is not Burger King. Remember they used to say that? You can have it your way. That's not how it works. You, you, You can have it your way, and your way is not that good. Or you can have it his way, but you can't have it both ways. So it just started to minister to me. You, you, you can have your, your, your way. You can have your way. And the next part I love is in the bridge. It says, shake up the ground of all my tradition. I love that. That's a routine thing. Here's the way I do it. Here's the way I want you to fit in, God. Shake up the ground of all my tradition, right? Break down the walls of all my religion. And I love this part. Your way is better. Your, your way, your way's better. And I don't know, it just, it just hit me. I realize, like, it, there's, there's things in my life when I'm, when I'm uh, preparing that I realize, oh, my gosh, you really suck at that part. And I, I am awful at letting God be God in my life. Anybody else? I'm awful at not being in control. I, I'll throw it behind discipline. I'm just a disciplined individual. I'm going to spiritually meal prep my entire life. Right? I'm going to cook it out on a Sunday. God, here's what I need you to do all week. I need, no, I need nobody to get into my way. This is what I'm going to do. And the truth is, God doesn't care. Your way's better, God. Break off my tradition. Break me away from my dead religion. I'll follow you. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes with me? There's a, there's a thought in the book, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, where uh, the author, Mark Battison, he brings up this thought, this theory. It's called uh, counterfactual theory. And counterfactual theory is the study that uh, smart people do of what ifs. So he just asks the question, what if Moses doesn't take God up on this? What does his life look like? And here, here's, the, here's the answer. Looks like nothing. He dies in the wilderness. He dies unknown. He dies insignificant. He dies a simple yet spiritually empty life. And I, he says in the book, man, ask yourself those questions. What does my life look like if I don't make this move? What am I going to miss out on? Where am I going to wish? Man, I wish I would have done that. Some of you trying to live a, such a reasonable life while you try to follow an unreasonable God. Some of you trying to live a life that makes sense when you follow a God. The Bible says that makes a way where there seems to be no way. There's only one way to follow Him. Your way's better. You can mess up my routine. You can mess up my life goals. You can have every part of me. That's the only way to live. I love this, this, uh, this, this, this day today. I think it, it falls on a Holy Spirit-inspired day because we're going to talk about baptism today. And uh, some of you, uh, even that, like you've been hesitating there. 
hesitating, hesitating. It's not on my routine. I don't know how the water's going to feel. I don't know what my face is going to look like. I don't know if I have the right clothes. I, I don't know if they put chlorine in the water. That's kind of disgusting. I, 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 I washed my hair yesterday, right? I washed my hair. I wash my hair every day, but I wash my hair, and so I can't do that, and, 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 and I don't have all the answers. And I, and I, and I, what did Jesus say? Repent, which means turn your life away from yourself and towards him and be baptized. That's full obedience. Doesn't say have, have it all together. Hey, go to class. Hey, man, you got to get really religious. Hey, got to say the right prayers. Hey, better start acting right. Repent and get baptized. So for some of you, this today is going to take you out of your routine. Every excuse you have right now, we, we, we've, we've prepared for. <laughs> I don't have clothes. We'll give you a shirt. I don't have pants. We bought some. Amazon. I don't have a towel. We have towels. My family won't see. It's on video. I'm not on the list. There's no list. Everything, everything. Like some of you, that's just, I, I, beautifully. In the first service, there was two people signed up, and then I watched two people in tears come up to that, that baptism, and I could tell it was spontaneous, right? Because spontaneity is a gift when it comes to your spiritual life. I'm going to live my life outside of my own plans. So some of you, that's a very practical, real step you can take today. Others of you in this place, uh, your cage of routine uh, is you just being responsible and in control of your life, period. And if you're honest, you're just, you're tired of it. <laughs> you're tired of it. It's not turning out the way you thought it would turn out. Uh, you're not in control like you thought you would be. You, you, you've experienced some things that have been outside of, of your life. And I have found this is what happens outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Life has a way of humbling you. Life has a way of breaking you. Life has a way of leaving you empty. And when you get to that point, it's such a beautiful point to be in at life, be, be in, at life in life because you begin to realize, I don't think I can do this on my own. And that's one of the simplest summaries of the message of Jesus. I came so that you can have life and have it to the full. I didn't come to get you. I came to save you. The Bible says if you're weary and heavy laden, that you can take Jesus into your life. What a moment. Some of you, you're at that spot right now and you've wondered why you're here today. And I, I would argue with you that you're at the exact spot you're supposed to be at the exact moment you were supposed to be, listening to the exact message. You felt like I was talking to you today. You are a control freak. It's hard for you to even say that because that wasn't on your agenda to say today. And as I speak, you go, man, that's me, and I'm tired of it. The Bible says if you would call on the name of Jesus, that he'll meet you. If you would, if you would, Bible says, pray and believe. Confess with your mouth and faith in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he was placed in a tomb. And the Bible says on the third day that he rose in power, and it's through him that we have our sins forgiven and that we become brand new people. That if you would take that message and let go of control, that your life would be different. 
So I want to ask you a question. Simple question. You tired of living without Jesus? Are you overwhelmed by life? Do you live your life in response to what's been said and done to you, but you don't want to live like that anymore? Are you ready to give your life to Christ? The Bible says, call on him. Call on him. So what I want to do all over this place and in Montgomeryville is I want to pray before we go into a time of baptisms. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you say, you know what? That's my first step today to come out of the cage of routine is the routine of trying to be in control. The, the routine of trying to figure it all out on my own. Today I'm going to give up control. And I'm going to say what you said in that song. Your way, God, is better than mine. Your way is better than mine. So Jesus Christ, here I am. Take me. Heal me. Save me. And set me free. When you do that in faith, everything changes. If you're in this place, you don't know him, I'd love to pray with you. I want you to do something for me. Front to back, side to side, here in Montgomeryville, even online. The Bible says you pray, you confess, you believe, but it's also a step of surrender. And all over the world, a universal sign of surrender is hands held high. I'm going to surrender control of my life, and I'm going to give it to Jesus. Some of you, this is a terrifying step. It's going to take you out of your comfort zone, but here's the thing about it. Nothing about following Jesus is comfortable. Nothing. So why not start with your very first step? Today, Jesus Christ, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. Come on, front to back, side to side, young and old, been in church for years, never been to church before. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to right now. I need to surrender my life to Him. If that's you all over our houses, would you just begin to shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, this is my day. This is my day. There's hands here. There's hands here. Come on, keep your hand. There's hands up there. Today's my day. Another hand over here. Hand, hand, hand. Yeah. I want you to just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. All over this place. I know Christians, you hear this every time. It's that same theory 30 times. It just becomes monotonous. So just pretend uh, for a second that your best friend just responded to the gospel. Just to pretend that you've never heard this before. And just bow your heads and close your eyes for me. And would you just begin to pray all over this place? Pray something like this. You can repeat after me all over this place, front to back, side to side in Montgomeryville. Say, Jesus Christ. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus Christ, today you can have control. Your way is better. And so today I put my life in your hands. I believe in you. I know you died for me. I know you rose for me, and I know through you that today I become a brand new person. Now all over this place, as we get ready to go into baptism, would, would you just take a moment and would you just, would you just tell God, God, whatever you want me to do, there's somebody in this place, maybe multiple people, you just responded to the gospel, and uh, your next step is baptism, and everything inside of you is saying, no, you got to wait till next time, and that's just not true. Maybe you came with somebody today, and uh, you're a little intimidated to just walk over to that tank and figure it out. Just tap on the shoulder and say, hey, it's my time. 
We got everything that you need. There's others of you in this room in Montgomeryville listening, listening right now to me. That Man, it's been months, like months. You've been following Christ, and you come up with every excuse. Some of you, it's been years. Like you, you went to some kind of uh, older, old, old church where you, when you were young, and you got sprinkled, and people made you, you know, get confirmed and baptized, and now you're an adult. And man, if you're honest, you never really accepted Christ until maybe recently, and this is your next step. Today, I'm going to make my faith public with Jesus. And so as we begin baptisms, uh, you just head on over there. You just head on over there. You begin to allow the Holy Spirit to move and guide and direct your your life. Let's pray one more time together. Lord, we love you. And we pray right now uh, that you would move over these next few moments. Lord, that you would, the Bible says, inhabit the praises of your people. That you would fill up this room. That's what that song was all about. God, would you fill up this place? Would you make this a place where people's lives are changed forever? Changed in a moment. Thank you for those that are going to take drastic steps of obedience. It almost feels unreasonable. But Lord, we know that's the only way to follow you. We go all in. Lord, we listen to you and we do what you say. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done here today. In your name we pray all over this house. Would you shout amen in Montgomeryville? Would you clap together? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.